Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. We're going to be looking at Psalm 37 today. Like Pastor Vance said, we are in volume four of Psalms for the summer. I love this. This means we've done this for the last three, four years now. This will be the fourth, fourth time we've done it. It's like a, a whole series of mixtapes. I did a little chicka chicka word, chicka word, chicka chicka word. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, oh. That's the extent of my DJing, as you can tell. But it's incredible, I love the Psalms. The Psalms are like a solve to the soul. It's like whenever you are going through highs of highs or lows of lows, you can turn into the Psalms and, and find a Psalm that can speak right into your situation. And so we're gonna find ourselves today in Psalm 37 verses one through nine, a Psalm of David. It says this, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him and He will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop Stop being angry, turn from your rage, don't lose your temper, it leads only to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Come on, today we're gonna to tackle some hard questions with, with the help of David. I hope you get revelation about some really difficult things today. But so before we get into it, I'm gonna go ahead and pray. And I'm gonna pray because I'm gonna bring a message and it's titled, The Good News About Injustice the good news about injustice. We're gonna need prayer for that one. Okay, let's pray. Father, Lord, I just thank You that You are active, alive, and moving on the earth today. I thank You that Your Word has power to save, power to heal, power to resurrect. And I thank You, Father, that it's not just for yesteryear, it's not just for yesterday, but it is alive today. And so I pray that Your Word do not, will not return to You void in this moment, but it will accomplish the very thing that You have sent it to do. We love You and we thank You. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen. Say hello to your neighbor. A couple people came in a little late. Just make sure you know who you're sitting next to. Tell them they look beautiful. So like I said, the Psalms is like God's book of worship. And I'm so excited that we're going to be camped in here for the next few weeks. If you don't have a Bible reading plan you're already in, go ahead and just go through the Psalms. It will be such a ministering moment for your souls. Um, and it, basically the Psalms are a collection of songs that minister to God's heart. He basically compiled his favorite mixtapes, his favorite songs. It's like um, God was like, let me just make a playlist. And I don't know if you knew this, but the Psalms were not just written over a couple years. They were in fact compiled and taken from songs written over a thousand years. The Psalms itself actually spans the entire time of the Old Testament. So there are Psalms in there for, by Moses and Levite priests and about half of them were from David, but he wasn't the only one that wrote these songs. The Psalms have a different sort of genres to the Psalms. You've got songs of praise, you've got prophecy, and you've got Psalms that are wisdom, which is where we find ourselves in Psalm 37, where it gives wisdom to God's people. 
But before we get into this psalm, I was able to recover one psalm that didn't quite make the cut. It was just a little, a little, a little too late to get into this book. But I want us as a community to make sure that we've heard what I would call maybe the 151st Psalm. And the psalmist that wrote this, some may say, you know, because when David wrote Psalms 37, he was old. Because in verse 25, it says, I was young, but now I'm old. So doing my diligent research, I guess he's old. But this psalmist was a little bit younger. She was four years old when she wrote this psalm. Let's go ahead and play it. Drop, drop it. Drop that track. Oh, I like that. All right, here we go. Just, just one word. If you know it, sing it aloud. There we go. Jesus, I love thee, you my best friend. Okay. Jesus, I love thee, you my best friend. What? Jesus, I love thee, you my best friend. I know. Jesus, I love thee, you my best friend. Okay, you can cut it. That's the only part I like. Uh, no, I'm kidding. The whole song is good. The whole song is good. If you didn't know, that was written by my daughter, Eliana, at the start of the pandemic on our dining room table. And it's incredible. I absolutely love it. You know, the thing about it is that it's just so cool because that's how I imagine, you know, Psalms, you can sing them, you can put a beat behind them, you can rap to them, you can, you can do a lot. So don't think that the Bible is dry. God is the ultimate DJ. But that's, that, that, those words were penned by my daughter, but it was the genius of Pastor Carly and her, and, and her worship team that put the beat and the verses came together. There was actually another Carly that has impacted my life. And I wouldn't say she wrote a psalm per se. Um, at best, she gave pretty poor relationship advice. But it was uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. Does anyone know her? Does anyone? Everyone know? Yes, you guys, you guys know Carly? And then in 2012, you know, in the, in the year of the law of 2012, a, a song came up upon us called Call Me Maybe. Do you guys know this song? Do you guys know this song? Okay, how does that one go? Here we go. Hey, I just met you and... Okay, Voxgen, do not do that. Don't meet someone, giving them out your number. Not good relationship, but, but a catchy tune. Good tune, good tune, especially tune. And I remember this song clearly because it was a wedding of a friend of ours from college, and we were at, on the dance floor. And if you know me, I like a good dance floor. I, I like me a good dance floor. And so if you have a wedding, I will be on the dance floor. And I was there, and I was dancing, and I look across the dance floor, and I see one of my, my, one of my best friends at the time and her husband, um, and they were dancing, and particularly the husband, he had their 18-month-old daughter, and um, he was just twirling her, and she loved this song, almost knew it word for word. And I was just like, wow, that's probably not great theology, but how adorable, how great. And so he was just dancing with her, and they were laughing. And so every time I, would, I hear this song, especially at weddings, I instantly think of them. I instantly, I can almost see that moment. It's funny how music can do that, right? Like a song, whether it's your wedding song, it just takes you right back to that moment. But the reason why this memory would be so seared in my mind for probably the rest of my life is unbeknownst to me at that time, that was the last time I was going to see Joe alive. A few months later, he was deployed to Afghanistan, his, his fifth tour, his fourth time there, and he ended up being killed by firearms. He got into a battle. 
And I remember being on the plane flying to my 24-year-old widow friend who had three children now at the time. And she was, you know, of course, understandably distraught, having to make all the preparations, the military, helping a lot and taking care. But I remember as I was holding their tiny baby in my arms and just having so many questions to God. And it's, you know, it's your typical sort of why do good things happen to bad people? And that, that came to my mind, but I got really angry for a moment, if I'm honest, because I'm thinking, Lord, there's so much wickedness. What, what do we do when it seems like they're prospering? What does it do when it looks like they're winning? What it looks like it's actually striking terror in our hearts. And so today I want to tackle the questions, not only why do bad things happen to good people, but how do we process when the wicked, when evil seems to be winning? And Pastor Adam actually gave us this, this psalm to preach from way before the events that have happened over the last few weeks. And so I feel like it is really the timing of heaven and God to get into our hearts today. But before we try to understand why it seems that wickedness prospers and all these really complicated philosophical issues, we first have to have a, a very good theological understanding of where wickedness came from to begin with. You see, in Genesis 3, it's usually titled in most Bibles, the fall of man. It's where we get the original sin doctrine from, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But how many people know if there's a Genesis 3, there's a Genesis 2 and a Genesis 1? I'm going to make you guys real good theologians right now. So if you hear Genesis 3, you know there's a 2 and a 1 before it. And I say that because in order for you to really process wickedness and evil, you've got to have a good theological understanding of who God is. And Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 paints a brilliant picture for us about our creator God. And it says that in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth and he created all the things we see. And it says that he called it good. And then he created man. He created male and female. He created them. And he, when he created them, he says, it is now very good. And then we see in those two, those, those two chapters as we look at how man was created, specifically then woman was made, and it was beautiful. There was unity with God. We were in relationships with God. We had a job to do. We were in a beautiful garden. You see that the original design of man was very good. Humanity, when designed initially, was very good. And I want us to be very cautious without any theories, any paradigms, anything critical or whatever that may have you start the chapter of humanity in Genesis 3 with the fall. You have to remember that the humanity actually started in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2 by a good God who is good all the time because He is good. He creates good. Evil cannot come from God. He is good. You can't make, you can't take something that is horrible and bring it from something good. So we serve a good God. But then Genesis 3, and we see there the sneaky serpents. When I used to teach, yeah, literally, when I would teach Sunday school with the kids, and I will teach them, I'd be like, where's the sneaky? And they love this. <laughs> the sneaky serpent, and we know that this was a type figure of Satan that would come into the garden. And it says this, let's pick it up in Genesis 3, verse 1. He begins to have a conversation with Eve, which anytime you have the conversation with the devil, that's already red flags. Bad news bears. Genesis 3 verse 1 says this, one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You will not die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. 
the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And in that moment, it goes on to say that she gave it to the man who was with her. So side note, it wasn't just Eve. Adam was right there. He could have said something. But anyway, it was, he gave some to the man and he partakes in it as well. And he eats it. And in that moment, sin, evil, wickedness spreads onto the earth. And to this day, we can see the ramifications of that. And what I want to point out is not just the fact that she took a bite of the apple, but really dissecting this moment, what the enemy did to convince her. It says it convinced her. And what she said was like, oh, we will die. And, and what the serpent says, hey, hey, you won't die. You're going to know good and evil. You'll be like God. But as I just showed you in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, everything that God did was good. He is good. So the reality is she already knew good. The only thing this fruit was actually going to give to her was a knowledge of evil. That she would know evil. And the word know here isn't just an intellectual just knowing of evil. It means to be intimate with to experience. What he was saying is you're going to experience evil. You're going to be intimate. It's the same word they use when they say Adam knew Eve and they conceived a child to be intimately familiar with evil. And what he does when he does this is he says, you will be like God. And I want to submit to us that at the seat of evil, at the seat of wickedness, is this concept of this perverted understanding that we should be like God instead of being God-like. That that like God sin, that like God paradigm actually did not even start with the fall of man. If you go to Isaiah, talking about Lucifer, if you didn't know this, Lucifer was is Satan and he was with the angels. He was initially created and worshipped God. He was the chief worship leader in the, in the angel realm. But it says this about why he ended up falling. Isaiah 14, 13 to 17. For you said to yourself, speaking of Lucifer, I will ascend to the heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. As a people of God, we have to guard against any sort of perverse thinking that's going to make us like God instead of God-like. In Genesis 1 and 2, he, he formed us and He breathed His breath into us. It says that we were made in the image of God. We were made to reflect God. We were made to be God-like in every realm that we're in, in every area that He's put us in. That is how we were designed. That is how we are created. And when you see evil on the earth today, where you see wickedness seeming to triumph at the fundamental root, is this perverse um, a, a grab for power to be like God. And so we see this happen and we see Eve usher in with Adam the fall of man and a separation and, and, and a distance was put between us and the eternal and good God. And so what can happen at a times when you look at this is that you, you experience it in day-to-day -day life, in day-to-day -day world. It, we've experienced this as a nation. We've experienced this in our personal lives. And it can cause a couple of reactions to happen, which David talks about in Psalm 37. The first one he talks about and he warns against is envy. Don't be envious when you interact with evil. Don't be envious when you see wickedness. And you may ask, like, when will I ever be envious of wicked and evil? 
But I don't know about you. Have you ever seen someone seemingly get the results that you want? And even though you acknowledge the way they got it probably wasn't, you know, on the up and up. You're like, ah, oh, but they did it. But they got it. I, I do it all the time on the one-on-one when I see someone speeding like at 90. I'm looking at them like, oh, if only I could just have the courage <laughs> to convince my husband to get me a Tesla so I too can go 90. That's what I took away from that. But when I was a lawyer, baby, baby lawyer, I did criminal defense and I worked with kids that, especially juveniles, um, that were accused of pretty serious crimes. And I would, you know, support them on their legal case, but also try and impart life advice to them and stay in school. And when you get out of this, don't you go back to that gang and do that again. And, you know, try in my hardest to sort of impart wisdom and like, you know, and just get them on the right path. But one of them looked at me one day and was just like, Michelle, um, do you know how much drug dealers make in our community? And I said, I don't really know, he told me. He's like, do you know how much minimum wage if I was to work at McDonald's would be? And let me tell you, I may not be like um, Luke and studied math in school, but that math I could understand. <laughs> that math made sense to me. I said, okay, but still, don't you want to make $12 an hour <laughs> working behind a grill? And he said, nope. And sometimes you can look at the results of, the, of wickedness and look at the results and be tempted at least or envious and, and, and it prevents you from going forward in the path of righteousness because you're like, I'm not going to achieve that. The other reaction you can have when you see wickedness and when you see evil is to be what David calls to fret. It's not a word we use very often in our day-to-day -day right now. We don't go around saying, hey, stop fretting. You don't fret. Don't fret. But as I began to dig down and see what this word means, I can see why David chose to use it. The word fret means to worry, to be anxious, to be stirred up. To, one, of the, one of the meanings I, I thought was so applicable and tied to something Pastor Adam spoke about last week is it says a gradual wearing away, rubbing or gnawing, like a corrosion happening. And Pastor Adam last week when he was speaking about confidence said that sin can erode confidence both the sin that we have, but also I want to submit the sin that we experience, the sin that we see, the sin that we consume through social media and we see, allow it. It, begin, it can begin to erode our joy. It can begin to erode our peace. It begins to erode our confidence. It begins to erode all these things. We can come to church and you sing and then you get back out there and you just feel like, wow, I don't have enough, enough left in me to face another instance. But here's the thing about it is that it's not just a spiritual reality. Your body physically also does react every time you get into it. You see a traumatic event. You see in your mind it releases cortisol and adrenaline and you've got that fight or flight response that can sort of kick in. And it's just designed to keep you safe. It's designed to, as a survival mechanism. But if you stay in that state too much, i.e. you're seeing constant news of traumatic events, constant news of wickedness, constant news of evil, constant news of people suffering and dying, all these things around you, your body just keeps triggering these things and there becomes a fatigue that takes place in your adrenal gland that could cause you to feel overwhelmed and just sit back. And you just get so overwhelmed, you can't even think, you can't even process, you, don't, you, you can't sleep, you can't, you can't rest, you can't go to work, you can't focus, because your body's physically reacting. As I explained in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we were created to be very good. We were not created to dwell and to know evil. 
And so what can lead to happen, whether it's out of envy or whether it's out of fretting, is it can lead to a state of being inactive, where the enemy is like, okay, you may not be the perpetrator of evil, but if I can get you to a point where you don't even want to react to it, where you just want to sit back and you just feel so overwhelmed, you know it's wrong, but you don't even know where to begin, how to think, where to act. If I can get the church to be inactive in these hours, in these days, then I can, I can prosper. There's a quote that says, the only thing that evil needs to prosper is for good men to do nothing. Just sit back and do nothing and we can see evil on its le- on the loose. But I love what David does. Is he doesn't just say, hey, this, don't worry about the evil. He gives actually an antidote to that feeling of inactivity, that antidote to feeling overwhelmed. And before you can understand how that anecdote works, you've got to understand what God says about injustice, what God says about wickedness. Our confidence to act and to, to, to be able to move forward cannot be built. We cannot muster it enough. I don't know about you, but I don't have enough willpower to get up after seeing that 19 children were killed. I can't muster that up in, my myself, in of myself. But when I look to the word of God and I see how God thinks about wickedness and evil, it puts inside of me a confidence that I'm serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It says this in Psalm 37, just in this one Psalm, let alone the entire Bible. It says this, verse 9, for the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. In verse 10, soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. In verse 12, the wicked plot against the godly. They snarl at them in defiance, but the Lord just laughs for he sees their day of judgment coming. The wicked draw their swords and string their bows to kill the poor and the oppressed, to slaughter those who do right, but their swords will stab their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Verse 20, but the wicked will die. The Lord's enemies are like the flowers in the field. They will disappear like smoke. And we can have this assurance that God will deal and has dealt with wickedness and evil because of the power of the cross. Because of what we just sang in praise and worship right now, that Jesus has defeated it all. In Colossians 2.15, it says it this way. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I love another version says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Let me just park here for a minute because you can just read that and think with all the evil that's going on that God, maybe, maybe you forgot to deal with some things, but you've got to get a theology corrected right now that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords made a public spectacle of death, made a public spectacle of evil. So don't be, don't be so surprised that they're a little triggered and a little ticked off and they're trying to react because they know that they are defeated. They know that they are coming to an end. You know what? I love this line that I heard in one song. It says that fear is just a liar running out of breath. The devil knows that his days are numbered, that he is coming because Jesus, when he died on the cross, yes, he died for your sins. Yes, he died to be reunited with you, but he had to go back to the garden and deal with the initial lie from the serpent and said, I will come and rectify what you started and I will make sure humanity is one day reconciled to me. It makes no sense for us to be humanity and evils around us. And so Jesus made a public spectacle of it. But because we have free choice and we have free will, you will see wickedness and evil still among us today as we are outworking the salvation of our King. But I love it because it's not just that, I, you know, the justice side of me and the lawyer is just like, get them, get them. District attorneys, if you're in here, we love you. 
judges, you do what you need to do. And there's a place and there's a, there's a, a calling for people called to that. But I also love that we serve a God that is not just the lion, but he's also the lamb. That it says in Exodus 3, the Lord said to them, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. In Psalm 10, it says, Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphan and the oppressed so mere people can no longer terrify them. In Proverbs 14, it says, those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. Don't be mistaken. Don't allow the world to get you think that God doesn't care. He is very intimately aware of those who are oppressed. He is sitting with the orphans. He is there. The psalmist says in another psalm, he is close to the brokenhearted. He is there with those crushed in spirit. So whenever you hear wickedness happening, you're hearing of evil, whether it's to someone that you know intimately or it's happening afar, you can rest assured that you can pray to a God that is also coming close to them, that is also coming near them, that is also pressed towards them that the work of justice is God's work. It's not a good idea just from a few nonprofits out here and a few kind-hearted people. It's at the very heart of God to see the oppressed set free, to release captives, to give sight to the blind. That is the message of the gospel in a nutshell. And God has not stopped. He hasn't stopped. He will not stop. He will continue to advance to every captive is free, to every person that's oppressed. That's why as a church, we are not just a church that comes and does cute worship services. That Monday through Saturday, we are forcefully advancing the kingdom of earth. That we are setting up nonprofits. We are, we are putting crazy innovation out there. We've got church AI that you used to register. It may not be intuitive to you how that fights injustice, but let me tell you, when you've got technology that makes it beautiful for the church to gather seamlessly, that it allows the place for people who are oppressed to run to, to find shelter, that that is the act of justice of God on the earth. That you are in a house that recognizes the call to help those that are oppressed. And so what, the Bible, what David does is he goes through and he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Do good. Isaiah says this, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of widows. In Micah 6, 8, I love this. Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to love mercy to do right and to walk humbly with your God. That there is an action and activity that comes to fighting, to fighting um, darkness, to fighting wickedness. It does not happen in inactivity because there are two things that can happen. Either you will magnify the wicked through inactivity or you'll magnify God in activity. You can't do, you can't, it's one of those two choices. Either you're inactive, and when I say magnify the wicked, it makes what the wicked does louder because there is no counter and there is no activity to magnify the works of God on this earth. And so I'm gonna stir inside of you today a desire to do good works. Why? Because I was instructed by Paul. He says in Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Another word for Fred, if you remember, is to stir up. But I wonder if you realize that the redemptive work of the cross allows us now to stir up something else instead of worrying and anxiety in the face of darkness, that because of the work of the finished cross, that we can stir up good works, we can stir up love, that we can be a community where you just see these works flying everywhere that does good on this earth. David goes on to say, take delight in the Lord. 
take the light in the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest theologians, some would say in the 19th century, said it this way. Delight and faith are so blessedly married that the gates of hell cannot separate them. True religion flows with delight and joy. That in the face of wickedness, in the face of evil, the people that can find their delight in the Lord will see their desires come to pass. That when you feel the temptation to lose your joy, remember that it is anchored in the Lord. That my delight is in the one that has triumphed over everything. My delight is in the one that has made a public spectacle over evil. My delight is in the Lord. And that verse, I hope now you never see it the same because it's not just, hey, God will give you what you want, so delight in him. It is literally a recipe to come against darkness, to come against evil. It's to desire God, to delight in him. And he says to commit everything to God, to roll your cares onto him. I love that so much. I love that, that there's an activity that we can do and that we can, we can get to. But, but I'm not sure about you, but I still am like, how? How does this actually work? Because I, I, I want to do good works. I want to get there. Remember when I began this, I took us into the garden when the serpent was speaking and he says, you will know good and you will know evil. God said, I got you for that. In Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to the purpose. You see what the serpent tried to do was say, you're going to know evil. I'm gonna make you forget that you know good and you're going to know evil. But what the finished work of the cross now does, says no matter what you face, I'm gonna cause you to know that I can work it for good. I'm gonna cause all things to work together for the good of those who have loved me, who are called according to my purpose. Now you're knowing you can be intimate with not just good, but you can be intimate with what that causes good, that what that causes and takes the evil and the wicked and causes it to work for your good, for our good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was void and formless and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the earth. And God said, let there be light. And I serve a God that's called and looked into darkness, looked into despair, looked into the void and called out light. He called out light from the darkness. That light came out of darkness because of Creator God. John then goes on to tell us that the Word gave life to everything that was created and His life brought light to everyone. That light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Let me take you back to Genesis 1 again. God creates light. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word is the light and this light cannot dis be distinguished. It cannot, I don't know about you, but when you turn on your light in your bedroom, there isn't a power struggle between light and darkness. Darkness has to flee, darkness has to bow, darkness has to go. And then God says, I will take this light, I will create it. And there is not a darkness on this earth that can come up against the light of our God. This light is good. But He doesn't stop there. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, who has said, let light shine out of darkness. May His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He called out light out of darkness. This light cannot be defeated. And then He put that light inside of us. The good news about injustice is that the good news, the Gospel is in just us. That the good news of the Gospel, you are a carrier of this. And so when you turn on your social media and you see darkness fill your feet, understand this reality that the way God has designed this to work is that I will call the light, I will create the light, the power is mine, but I will put that inside of you. I will put that inside of broken vessels, inside of jars of clay. And you may say that I am just a jar of clay. I, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know the scars that I have. You don't know the cracks that I have. But I submit to you that you are the perfect candidate to carry light because light cannot shine but for the cracks. So don't let the enemy take you and tell you that you cannot do something because of your background. That is the very thing that God will cause to work together for the good of those who love Him. I'm trying to get inside of us as the church of Jesus Christ, the living God, the God that is the Word, that there is something inside of us that He has put to combat what we see, that you do not have to be on the back foot feeling helpless and defenseless, that you serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and He has made a public spectacle. And yes, we may continue to hear of tragedies and things happening, but we are not a helpless people. We are not a hopeless people. We are not a people that look like darkness. We are carriers of light. And so I want to wonder if there are two or three people who will walk into grocery stores this week, who will go to schools, who will find themselves in their workplaces carrying this light. And the light, the darkness cannot, will not, shall not distinguish your light. It will not do it. Not on our watch. Not on our watch. When God created man, He stooped into the dust and He formed him. Then it says this in the text, it says, He breathed. He breathed His life. He breathed His breath and we get our life. And I know some things have happened that may have taken your breath away, may have taken your ability to even breathe deeply away. But I feel so strongly that in this presence, that the Holy Spirit is here to breathe life into you again. So if you stand up, if you're not already all over this place, if you're watching online, stand up, please. And I just wanna create space right now for God to breathe His breath inside of you. And it may be counterintuitive, because when you blow out candles, you you blow. But how many people know that the same breath that blows out a candle can also fan it into flame? And I feel so strongly from the Holy Spirit that He's about to breathe, to fan some lights into flame, that you're going to walk out of here a little bit brighter. 
Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't want to miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org, to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.